You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Man, oh boy, oh boy, oh man, oh. I don't even, I don't, I don't, I, I don't like Victory Mondays for only one reason. There's so much to talk about, and there's so little, it's so hard to organize it all. You know, there's so many tiny little nuggets, especially in this game. Like, oh, this record got broken, and this is a first time ever, and this, everything is a first time ever, it feels like, because I've never seen that before. I mean, it feels that way. It's been a long time. And so I've got I've got the, the, the special little nuggets. We've got the individual stats. you got the first time ever. You, you got the, I want to go thing by thing. I want to go big picture, like the run game, the passing. And I, there's so much to talk about. But at the end of the day, I'm not too worried about it, because it's Victory Monday, and every word that comes from my mouth will just flow with joy. <laughs> That's actually not true, because I do want to talk about a couple bad things, but we'll just get that garbage out of the way kind of early, and then we'll just move on to the to the glory. Glory, glory. Can I get an amen? Yes. Uh, saw that in a movie once, I don't know. It felt good, like, saying it. May have screamed that at my TV a couple times too. I don't know. It just it just feels right. So let's let's get the bad news out of the way. Um, I think overall the defense was pretty putrid, and I know that's not the general consensus, and so I say that with caution. But I don't think uh, you know there were the defense was kind of like what we saw last year, but but on steroids. Last year I feel like there was some some bad stuff that happened. But big plays kind of made up for it. You had some sacks, whatever. This game was, I feel like, as far as defensive failure, up there with the 49ers, the two 49ers games, and the Eagles game. And I can back that up with one simple little tidbit here. Actually, there's a couple things I want to highlight. Last year, the Green Bay Packers' defense was actually really, really stout. They gave up 24 or less points. In every single game last year, except four, they lost every single game in which they gave up more than 24. They only gave up big points three times to the Philadelphia Eagles, 34, the 49ers, 37, the 49ers, 37. In other words, this is the third most points the Vikings or the Packers have given up since last year. Now, you could talk about garbage time if you want, but I'm not really buying it for two reasons. Number one, look at the individual cases. What does garbage time have to do with Darnell Savage choosing not to drop back and cover a guy, Adam Thielen? Why is he not paying attention? Why doesn't he cover the guy? What does garbage time have to do with Jair getting burned by Adam Thielen? Or even if, you know, it wasn't burned, it was fairly good coverage, fine. It was still a dime pass to Adam Thielen over Jair. Whether it's garbage time or not, that, that is what it is. And if anything, garbage time speaks more to the fact that the defense is mostly playing coverage and allowing you to run or throw little dink and dunk passes. They're throwing 30-yard strikes. That's the one thing we should be able to stop. I haven't quite seen the stats yet, but, well, let's look at my second point first, which is probably the most damning of anything. 
The Vikings offense had the ball for 18 minutes. 18 minutes and scored 34 points. We had the ball for 41 minutes. We dominated time of possession. The fact of the matter is when the Vikings got the ball, they scored in about three plays. There was like nine seconds left at half. And they marched all the way down the field and got a field goal because two big plays. We, we They ran the ball. They were basically just giving up and Dalvin Cook rips off like, what, 30 yards? And then they throw another giant pass and kick a field. I mean, that's pathetic. No, it's, listen, it's week one. We've got stuff to work on, all that stuff. And, 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 and again, I don't want to hear about Kenny Clark either because as much as that hurt, we weren't stopping Dalvin Cook when Kenny Clark was on the field. So this was one of the worst defensive performances. Now, granted, a big part of the reason we won were because of some big plays. Zadarius's sack was huge. Obviously, that, that safety was massive. We, we got off to a slow offensive start. It was looking pretty ugly, and that sort of turned the tide on top of the Jair pick. So again, big plays made up for the fact that on a play-to-play basis, the Vikings absolutely destroyed the Green Bay Packers. There's no question about that. I've got some more information for you. If... 34 points. In, I, I, we should check that. Points per minute. As a stat, I'd be curious to know how impressive um, 34 points in 18 minutes is. Because the Packers scored 41 in or 43 in 41 minutes. That's one point a minute. The Vikings almost scored two points per minute. Here's another thing, and we're going to revisit this, but I'm, I'm looking at situational run-pass ratios and all that stuff. And the Packers were on fire. This is some of the good news. The, the Packers were one of the, one of the most or I should say the, the highest success percentage when they were throwing the ball of any team. They tied the Baltimore Ravens for second. Do you know who was number one? The Minnesota Vikings. Success percentage while throwing the ball. The Green Bay Packers were it tied for second at 57% success rate. Minnesota was 59%. They had the most success throwing the ball of any team in the entire NFL. So yeah, I'm a little disappointed. And again, I'm not buying garbage time. There's no excuse. We've got great pass rushers, we've got great corners, we've got great safeties, we've got a new great linebacker, right? So why are we allowing all this? It's not acceptable. And don't think the Packers are accepting it either. I don't want them accepting that excuse. I don't want Mike Pettin coming to the podium going, well, it was garbage time. No, BS. Do your job. How about running the ball? The New England Patriots ran the ball 67% of the time with Cam Newton. Probably because that's the only thing that's going to work. I'm not buying into that success as long as they think they're going to run the ball 67% of the time, but that's a separate issue. They were the second most successful team running the ball, 67% success rate. The Vikings were number one at 73%. That's putrid. That's ridiculous. The average in the NFL is 52% success rate. The Vikings were successful 73% of the time. This was the worst defensive performance of any NFL team, period. Period. The Packers weren't as successful against the Vikings' defense. They weren't on a play-to-play basis. But the Packers had the ball more. So you got a couple mediocre plays, and then a really good play to convert the third down, and then a bad play, and then a decent play, and then a good play, right? It was more balanced. It was the fact that we dominated time of possession that really helped us. I mean, just, just think what I said. Two points per minute compared to one point per minute. If it was equal timeshare, you know, 30 and 30, we're looking at a 60 to 30 game. I mean, it's not exactly one point or two points. It's like 1.8, but still, they would have swept the floor with us. Now, I'm not super panicked about it. I'm just I'm just getting the bad out of the way. We, we all acknowledge this isn't good enough, and I don't buy garbage time, none of that stuff. You have to be better than this. And I'm not even blaming the pressure so much because... The bottom line is it all started with the run game. I didn't see the Packers' defense hardly stop Dalvin, I mean, more than like three or four times. 
for the most part, he's ripping off whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. They couldn't contain anything. The backside contain was pathetic. Preston and Zadarius and whoever else these guys are on the edge. Dalvin, if there was nothing there, he bounced it to the outside, and there was 20 yards of green grass. That cannot keep happening. We can't expect the Packers to win. I mean, this this isn't going to be 2011 Packers. We shouldn't want it to be. We spent too much money and too much energy on this defense to expect to get to the playoffs by winning 42 to 30 every single game. We score in the 40s, they score in the... Th- no, I'm, I'm not accepting that. So Mike Pettin needs to buckle up. I mean, he, he needs to strap it down, man. Because I've, I've been hearing people say, is this Mike Pettin's last rodeo if this doesn't work? I don't want to go down that path. But the fact of the matter is, that's not good enough when you have Zadarius Smith, when you have Preston Smith, when you have an early first-round pick in Rashawn Gary, when you have a first-round pick in uh, Darnell Savage, when you have Adrian Amos, when you have Kenny Clark, hopefully he's okay. I mean, that's we, this team is way too stacked for talent to have the worst defense in football. I don't think I can pick, I, I can't think off the top of my head which defense is more stacked. I know there are some. I can't think of who they are. The Seattle Seahawks defense was terrorizing people with just one player. Jamal Adams was everywhere just ripping people's faces off. If the Seahawks can continue to maintain that level of success because they have like one or two good players on defense and like one or two good players on offense, what the heck are we doing? And that's where Mike Pettin is failing. And I don't want to put everything on him, but at the end of the day, somebody out there is able to take this talent and make it not suck. Okay, so I'm going to give him the week one pass. Everything is kind of messed up. And here, here's kind of my thought on it. Because some people, well, if you can't say that the defense was bad, then you can't say the offense was good. Well, I don't know about that. I'm more inclined in week one to believe in the good and not the bad. Not because I'm an optimist, but because it makes sense. It's possible for a really good player to have a really bad day if you don't have the proper practice or whatever else, right? It's possible. And that's what I'm leaning on here for the defense. It is impossible for somebody who's terrible to be really good just because of, you know, whoops-a-daisy. There's a lot of talk about, yeah, well, the Vikings' corners are trapped. That has nothing to do with the fact that Aaron Rodgers is throwing dimes. How many passes do you remember guys being wide open? I don't remember a ton. Devontae gets a good amount of separation on those outbreaking routes. That's awesome. But the touchdown to Devontae was a dime. The touchdown to Lazard was a dime. These are really tight windows. Every single pass to MVS, which, by the way, he had no ability to get the ball to MVS last year. He didn't miss a single pass to him this game. You think I'm not going to give Aaron Rodgers credit? Why wouldn't I? A lot of these, as, as bad as we want to say the, the corners are, and this maybe should be scary going down the road, there was not a lot of separation. But there was enough for Aaron Rodgers to fit the ball in a really tight window. That has nothing to do with a bad defense. That's all Aaron Rodgers. So I don't know how we could possibly blame the corners for Aaron Rodgers throwing perfect passes. If, if guys were just wide open and Rodgers is just lobbing it up to guys who are standing in the middle of the field with nobody covering them, okay, that's a separate story, but that's not what happened. So I'm, I'm going to lean into that a little bit. Um, we should be extremely excited about this offense. Everything that we wanted to happen essentially is happening. We're seeing a transforming of this offense. We're seeing a, a leaning into some certain things that, that seem to be working. Uh, the run game was certainly not there. That was that was a problem. The offensive line, you know, we came out, a lot of people were saying maybe Elton should play right tackle, and I said, I don't like that. Well, they started off with Elton at right tackle, and I'm thinking, oh, great, and I was not happy about it. They did about one series, and then they switched it back. Some people in their memory, especially the Elton should be playing right tackle people, seem to be remembering that it they only switched back because of injury. That's not the case. They did one series, realized it was a nightmare, put the offensive line back the way it should be with Rick Wagner playing right tackle, which I don't think he gave up a single pressure, put Elton back where he belongs, put everybody back where they should be, and formed the correct offensive line the way that I said it should be, 
and everything was fine. And then the injury started stacking up. And I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm excited for Billy Turner to come back. I still don't understand the Valdir thing. People will not stop talking about why do we need Valdir? Rick Wagner's still playing. He didn't give up a single sack of pressure. We we lost several. We lost a guard. We we lost a bunch of guards. Why do we need a tackle? People are just hung up on the Valdir thing. I don't I don't really understand that. Everybody, we went out and got Rick Wagner, and suddenly in the last month, everybody absolutely hates that guy. They hate him with a passion. I don't understand why. I mean, we'll see what he can do up against better competition, but I, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, if you want to, if you want to call up a guard and say, "Hey, we need some guard," cool, let's do that. But um, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand what's what exactly is going on here. But anyways, um, since we're here looking at pass run rates. And the only reason I came here is I had mentioned the Packers are going to start leaning more on the run. People that disagree with that are all over Twitter taking a victory lap because they um, passed more than they ran, which, you know, really bad time to be taking a victory lap. I'm not saying you're, you're going to be wrong in the end, but there are so many factors in this game that would point to maybe let's hold off the victory lap. But anyways, first of all, the uh, Green Bay Packers passed 58% of the time, ran 42% of the time. I think the, the stats are slightly different what I'm looking at. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. But let's look at a couple factors here. Well, let's do success rate first of all. Again, 57% success rate throwing the ball is absolutely incredible. Second best tied with Baltimore. Um, success rate running the ball. Now, the Packers absolutely struggled to run the ball. It didn't look as clean as we had seen in the past. However, According to this success rate, however it's calculated, I'm sure it has something to do with that. what's expected based on down and distance, the Packers' success rate running the ball was 66%. That would be third in the NFL. So New England was 67, Minnesota was again 73. So it maybe wasn't quite as explosive. Obviously toward the end of the, the game, Aaron Jones started ripping off a couple bigger chunks. Beginning of the game, it just looked like there was absolutely nothing doing. But first of all, the Packers already are in this game, ran more than what they did on average last year. This is in a game when running the ball wasn't working quite as well. The offensive line is shuffling. The offensive line was injured quite a bit. The offensive line was pass-blocking extremely well, and the Vikings had no ability to bring pressure. Aaron Rodgers was playing one of his best games that I can remember. The Vikings' corners were struggling to cover. And also, I think one of the biggest factors here is that this prediction is never going to come true until A.J. Dillon starts getting factored in more and more into this offense. As we already know, Aaron Jones is never going to be a bell cow back. They talked even on the broadcast about wanting to keep him fresh, not just in this game, but for the later on periods in, in the future. The, the time in which you can expect this to switch to a, a more run-heavy offense, and that doesn't mean more than 50% of the time. On average, by the way, the NFL in 2019 passed 59% of the time. The only teams that ran more than they passed were the 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens. Tennessee is a run-heavy offense, and they passed 51% of the time. Minnesota, run-heavy team, the fourth most run-heavy team in 2019, they passed 52% of the time. So as of right now, the Packers are already running more than average. Not more than the NFL average this week, where the NFL ran like crazy, probably because it's week one. But again... That shift isn't going to take place until A.J. Dillon takes over because the point is A.J. Dillon will be that bell cow back. Aaron Jones is the guy they're keeping fresh. 
You want him to have fresh legs. He gets his 10 carries per game. He gets a bunch of receptions and all that kind of stuff. Now we did, this is, see, and I don't, this is what I don't know how, how and when to transition because there's so many little nuggets. But since we're talking about A.J. Dillon, let's talk about another fun aspect of what we saw in this game. I mentioned about that Texans game that a lot of people are looking at him as though they're trash. They're going to be last in the division, which after watching the Jaguars do work, maybe. <laughs> Although they did work on the Colts, so, you know. But it was good to see because Minshew is massively underrated. But staying focused here. One of the things I said about the Texans is I actually thought it was encouraging because the steps you want to see them take are things like getting their new running back acclimated, and I thought he had a good game. Getting this three wide, this three new wide receivers acclimated and kind of learning how to use these three instead of leaning on that one and spreading the ball out more, and I thought they did that to a, a pretty decent degree. And so these little milestones that you want to hit for the long term, not just let's win this week against the Chiefs, which is never going to happen anyways. I mean, it could have, but I mean, come on. Let's cut them a little bit of slack. But they hit those mile markers, right? A, a big portion of Matt LaFleur's offense, when it's really clicking, is going to include Josiah DeGuara. It's going to cl- include A.J. Dillon. And we're never going to fully be there until these guys get moving. And we got to see a little bit of a glimmer. We only saw a handful of carries from A.J. Dillon, but it looked good. I mean, it was it was real simplistic. It, it very much reminded me of Eddie Lacy, where, you know, you're looking at, Aaron Jones kind of just tried to run up the middle and there's nowhere to go. And then you look at A.J. Dillon run into a pile and you think there's nowhere to go and he pops out the other side. And you're thinking, oh, that's weird. And Eddie Lacy just kept doing that. And and for years, we thought that we just had a really terrible run-blocking offensive line. Turns out, we just didn't have a good enough running back. Eddie Lacy just hit the right hole at the right time, breaking through the arm tackles, and suddenly we have a decent enough run-blocking offensive line. Go figure. And that was definitely noticeable on a couple plays for Aaron Jones when, when Aaron's, you know, I mean, he's doing his thing. And he's, he had some unbelievable cuts. He had some things that were just ridiculous that I don't remember even Aaron Jones looking that clean. But at the end of the day, you know, he makes one guy miss, makes another guy miss, and then he gets to the line of scrimmage. And, I mean, he got hit hard and he gets taken off his feet. I think it was that second uh, A.J. Dillon run, which just with, with absolute authority, there's a defensive lineman who puts his arm out to slow him down. And I'm not saying that necessarily brings a- Aaron Jones down. It might have. But it absolutely is at least going to slow him down. He probably, you know, grabs his shirt and makes him spin a little bit, and then he gets hit from behind. A.J. Dillon looked like he he didn't even get touched. It's like the arm wasn't even there. He just blew right through it, like he was running through a bed sheet. And so they were just slowly easing him in. The, The one thing that was painfully obvious in this game is that I mean, this is this is a big game. This is extremely important. Week one, we need win. I mean, there's only 16 games, so you got to take every game extremely seriously. This is a divisional game. It's in Minnesota. This is one of the bigger games of the year, and it's week one. They are leaning on guys that they trust, and it's it's one of those things where it's like we want to see AJ Dillon, but it's like, look, we just just go hang out over there. We got this, right? I need Aaron Jones on the field with me. He knows what to do and where to be. I can't rely on guys that don't know what to do. Now, Josiah DeGuara was on the field a lot. Go figure. As I said, he's more NFL ready. He's been running this system for five years. He's plug and play. He knows what he's doing. And the fact that he came out and had a really good game, and and, and the fact that A.J. Dillon had a really good game, I think means that it moves us a step closer toward trust. I think Josiah is, is he's just, he's in. And I think we're going to be seeing more and more of him because when he was, when he was counted on, he was there. There was that one missed throw which on replay I think might be Josiah's fault. 
he was running a little wheel. I think it was a wheel. I'm not sure. But he's running up the sideline, I think, with Kendrick. It looked like on the replay he was slowing down. It's hard to tell because it's in slow-mo. But kind of like, you know, where you're kind of like backpedaling, like, where's the ball? Where's the ball? If he just sprints down the sideline, the ball might have been there. I don't know. As, as accurate as Aaron Rodgers was all game, I tend to think we're looking at a similar thing to where he's trying to gauge the speed. And if you're not running at a, a, a steady speed, there's no way to gauge that. If you start slowing down, he can't throw it to you. Plus, he's got to throw it past the defender. And if you're slowing down and letting the defender get in your chest, it's not going to work. But these are the little things, right? He blocked really well. And we saw some great speed, some great... And, and again, the, the, the one pass I'm remembering in my mind, and I need to go back and watch this game. Maybe I'll put a few videos up, although Facebook is already mad at me and striking everything. So I can't post that. I don't think I can do any more breakdowns, although all 22 is supposed to be allowed. But maybe that's YouTube. I probably shouldn't mess with Facebook because they're mad at me. By the way, thank you very much to everybody that uh, got involved in the live stream. Um, not that many people in terms of actual big numbers, but usually when I do a live stream, there's like one, two, three people in there. And so I think, I don't know what peak was, but there was a steady 14 the whole time. Questions were rolling in. So um, it was encouraging enough that I'll probably do that again. Sorry for not being the greatest host in the world, but it is a little strange when you're sitting there and you have no content prepared and you're relying on questions and for a while there's just none and you're just staring into your camera like, so, what's up guys? But anyways, we'll get it figured out. But but anyways, as that gets more built in, and I fully expect Josiah, as I said, I think he's going to be a, a bigger factor than Jay Sternberger. I think he's going to be a big instant reliable target i think aaron Rodgers has and, and and really it's it's a matter of let's try it out see how it goes and then we'll rebuild another game plan next week they they came into this game saying we're not going to utilize aj Dillon very much now maybe that changes maybe it doesn't it's hard to tell exactly how good of a job he did based on um just a couple runs also it was it was basically a tell when aj Dillon came in there running the ball because he's not they don't trust him enough to be a receiver or a pass blocker at this point in time. And again, the stakes are too high. We're not we're not at the point where we're ready to be tricky. Like, ooh, AJ Dillon, and you bet I bet you think we're gonna run. <laughs> we're gonna pass, and then AJ Dillon misses a block, and Yannick comes in, gets his one sack of the game, his one pressure of the game, strips the ball, blah blah blah. We're not playing that game. Not to say he can't do it. He's a big dude. I'm sure he'll get it figured out. Again, it's really just a matter of I just want the guys I trust right now. This is too high stakes to be putting new guys in that have hardly got any time. But again, in the grand scheme of things, it's too early to be taking a victory lap on that. They already ran, in a game in which the Packers are passing the ball better than I've seen in years, in which the, the Vikings' corners are decimated, in which the Packers' run game is kind of staggered, in which the Packers' offensive line is decimated, we're still running the ball more than average? And you're taking a victory lap? Knowing A.J. Dillon's about to get worked in more and more? I mean, as long as the pass game looks this clean, we're going to pass the ball a decent amount. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm taking a victory lap. I mean, last year, let's just look at, keep going back and forth here. So the Packers ran, what did I say, 58% of the time. That would make them, as far as last year is concerned, tied for 10th, 10th most rushing team in football. I mean, guys at the top, we're, we're looking at 67% passing, 66%, 64%, 63%, 60, you know, it's just, again, last year the Packers were at 60% passing. We're down to 58 In a week in which we passed... Passing was clearly what was working the best, and we're still down 2% passing the ball. So, we'll see. Again, we'll see. But the victory lap is a little unwarranted. And and, and again, I'm going to concede that unless and until A.J. Dillon becomes a major part of this offense, it's probably not going to drift much lower than 58%. But if he does become a major part of this offense, then we have a bell cow. 
Again, they're not going to run Aaron Jones into the ground. They refuse to do that, and Jamal Williams is not going to get... He, Jamal Williams' job right now, as much as I respect him and I like him, is to be is to spell Aaron Jones, and they don't really like him as much as a runner, and rightly so. He's a very mediocre runner. But if A.J. Dillon comes in and he's running the ball well, things will change. So that's that's all I'm going to say about that. Anyways, there's no real good time to take a break, so why don't we just take a break right here and now. And we'll come back and just talk about a couple other little nuggets that I found. Continue getting very excited, etc., etc. So I am actually extremely excited um, that my bookie has decided to jump on as a sponsor again. They were a very loyal sponsor last year. They helped out this program a ton. As much as I love my patrons and all that stuff, um, sponsors like my bookie take it to the next level in terms of the, the level of support they give shows like mine. And so I want to be able to give back to them and, and, and at the same time help you out by explaining just a couple things here. First of all, I got sent quite a bit of stuff from people talking about money that they made. For example, and he didn't send it as a private message, so I'm assuming he's fine with me sharing it. David, Mr. David Davis, loyal listener, showed me a slip in which he wagered $100 on the Packers and made $800. I'm super excited for him. However, I'm also sad for him because if he had listened... So what we're saying about my bookie, in which you get a, a promo code over time, you double your first deposit. Meaning, if he took that hundred dollars over to my bookie, they would have given him two hundred dollars. If he'd have put that two hundred dollars on the Packers instead of making eight hundred, he would have made sixteen hundred dollars. My bookie's literally giving you free money right now. And I know I got some big time gamblers in this on this on this podcast. There's no reason not to get some free money, and they're willing to match up to a thousand dollars. If you're a high roller, put a thousand dollars into my bookie. You're getting a thousand. You get two thousand to play with. What's also exciting about, about my bookie is you can actually live bet. You can make bets, prop bets during the game. So please do me a favor, because full disclosure, the response hasn't been too hot, and they're they're talking about possibly pulling. Please do me this favor. Head over to to my bookie. Use promo code overtime, whether it's $5 or $1,000. Show your support for this show. Show my bookie that I've got a really solid listenership of diehard fans. And to sweeten the pot one more time, overtime is going all in. Because we're giving away $500 cash to one person who takes advantage of this offer. So not only do you get my bookie to match, but you're going to get $500 cash if you're the winner. And considering they're willing to pull, that means not a lot of people are doing this. So you got pretty good chances of winning the $500. So when you're done going over there, take a screen capture of your deposit and send it to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com for your chance to win $500 just for signing up at my bookie. Thanks a lot for your support. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, a couple other little tidbits here as I'm poking around. And again, I'm probably missing some stuff. I'm trying to gather as much as I possibly can. However, Aaron Rodgers um, threw 136.2 passer rate. That was good for fourth this week. Lamar, 153.9. Russell, 143.1. Gardner Minshew, 142.3. One of the most exciting things about all this, and I, you know, obviously week to week it gets inflated, and then it starts to average out over time. But Aaron Rodgers' completion percentage has been down quite a bit. Um, it's one of the more negative things that we've been seeing, or a negative trend. In fact, that trend started probably around 2015 or so, which is obviously when things started to uh, go downhill a bit. The last two years, he's been at about 62% completion percentage. Obviously, there was that blip in 2016 where it was really high. That was a solid year. But 2015, 60.7%. Prior to that, he's 65, 66, 67, 68, 65. I mean, just down the line. 78% was good for sixth. Um, Gardner Minshew was 95%, 19 of 20. Crazy. Russell Wilson, 31 of 35. Lamar, 19 of 23. Philip Rivers, 36 of 45. Cam Newton, 15 of 19. So the only uh, completion percentages that were higher. Aaron Rodgers, 32 of 41. He tied for the most touchdowns on the day. He and Russell Wilson each had four. Obviously, no interceptions because that's just how he rolls. He was also second um, in total yards, 364 yards. Matt Ryan was the only one with more with 450 yards on the day. And then another uh, metric that people really like to look at is yards per attempt. Another one that's been down for Rodgers. I know average yards per attempt is more what people are looking at, but I don't have that on this current thing. But his career average yards per attempt is 7.7. He hasn't gotten to that mark since 2014. Uh, Last year, he was at 7. In this game, 8.9. He was fifth highest yards per attempt. Again, the, the deep ball was just on point in this game. So while there was a lot of really great progress in terms of throwing to his checkdowns and those checkdowns making plays after the fact, uh, he married that really nicely with some really deep shots. Um, looking at the wide receivers, I probably should just do general stats, but these are more fun anyways because you've probably seen the stats. Looking at wide receivers, there is a, uh, I mentioned general success rate, right? And if you look at just general success rate, the Packers, eh, not even really seeing anyone here. MVS, 67%. There you go. If you look at passer rating, MVS had the 1, 2, 3, 4, 6th highest passer rating when targeted, 149.3. Devontae Adams, just four spots behind him, 144.1. However, there is this other metric here that is more um, accurate, I guess. It's called TORS, T-O-A-R-S. The full name is Target and Output Adjusted Receiving Success. In other words, we're taking play success, but we're also looking at the output. What did you actually do? Right, if you're successful 100% of the time, but we're looking at five targets, five receptions for five yards and a touchdown, it's not quite as impressive. If you look at that, Devontae Adams ranked number one in the NFL. Not only had a, did he have a 65% success rate and a 144.1 overall passer rating, which is not as high as a lot of other guys. However, you factor in that he was he caught 14 passes, which the only other guy with 14 receptions was DeAndre Hopkins. But DeAndre Hopkins had exactly zero touchdowns. Devontae had two. You've got the most productive receiver in the NFL in week one was Devontae Adams. Again, yes, bad corners. I got it. But still, one of the best quarterbacks in week one was Aaron Rodgers. One of the best receivers in the game. Um, 
in week one was Devontae Adams, and even MVS on this metric. And, and imagine if he had caught those two passes. He'd be, I mean, we'd be looking at like number one and number three on this list right now. He's number 12 overall in the NFL based on this. Again, how, you know, your success rate, which is going to be low because you dropped those two. I mean, it's not low, it was high, but you get what I'm saying. It would have been a lot high. It was lowered because of that. But still, his output was such that he's 12th overall in the NFL. So all the MVS um, hype that some people are on the MVS train, this is a good week for you. Um, for those of you that are the, we wasted this draft, not a super great week for you. All right, we should have got a wide receiver. I mean, we'll see what happens when we go up against better corners. And it felt like that you guys had a really good case early on in this game when it was Devontae, 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 and nobody else was doing anything. But after MVS ripped off what he did, just, I mean, doing what we want MVS to do. If you don't account for him going deep, you're in trouble. And the only reason we didn't have more of that last year is Aaron Rodgers couldn't hit him. If Aaron Rodgers starts hitting him when he has a half a step on a guy, which is really all it was, he had a, maybe, maybe a step and a half at the most, if that's more than enough for Aaron Rodgers to put it in the right spot, people are in trouble. And I, I really think the Vikings were kind of kind of given the Packers that because in the past we couldn't hit that. Right? They tried to account for Devontae, but for the most part, and I think the big reason that the run game wasn't very successful, I mean, it, it obviously was, the success rate was high, but you know what I mean. It didn't look as pretty. We didn't carve them up the way that we had in the past on the ground. If you watch during those run, man, there were, there were that whole defense seemed like it was crashing down on them. And by the way, I got to give a shout out to Eric Kendricks, the guy that I've been trashing and saying is a regression candidate and all this kind of stuff. If he's going to regress, it's going to start in week two because that guy was the Vikings defense in that game. He made every single tackle. He was in the backfield tackling Aaron Jones. He was covering everybody. He was blanketing people. He was, that was a number one performance for Mr. Kendricks. So I'm not going to offer up an apology after one week, but that was, that was a heck of a performance. I mean, it it was a performance of a guy that last year was graded number one in the NFL. That looked like a number one linebacker to me. So, all good so far. A couple other little nuggets for the wide receivers here. If we don't use any filters in terms of, of whatever, um, play success rate, just in general, there were one, two, three, four, five, six that had a 100% success rate. Mr. Alan Lazard was one of them. He had four offensive plays. He had four successful plays. He averaged 15.8 yards per reception and had a touchdown in this game. Which, by the way, if we sort yards per reception, Hollywood Brown was number one with 16.8. Steve Sims, whoever that is, 16.7. Willie Sneed, 16. After that, you have MVS with 16 and Alan Lazard with 15.8. I mean, every, every metric I'm looking at, the Packers are at the top. Yards per reception for wide receivers, the Packers are both fourth and fifth. If we break it down by down. Um, you look at just first down success rate. You had a handful of people that were 100%. Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Devontae, MV, or uh, Hollywood Brown. But Devontae's here with the, the highest non-100 um, guy. He ranked ninth overall. One spot above Julio Jones. Two spots above Adam Thielen. Right, so Devontae was dominant on first down. Second down, um, Devontae was 11th. Third down, Devontae was 7th. <laughs> In the first quarter, Devontae was perfect. One of only two guys with 100% success rate in the first quarter, John Brown in Buffalo and Devontae Adams. So, anyways, um, if we look at explosive plays, obviously Minnesota is number one. 18% of their plays were listed as explosive plays. However, the Packers ranked sixth. So this metric, by the way, um, is a 10-yard run or a 15-yard pass or more to be deemed explosive. So the Packers 12% of the time generated an explosive play. 13% of their runs went for 10 or more. That's 4 of 32. 
11% of their passes, 5 of 44, went for 15 or more yards. The runs sound more impressive, but the Packers ranked 13th in explosive runs. They ranked 5th in explosive passes, um, only behind Detroit, L.A., Baltimore, and obviously Minnesota was number 1. So Minnesota was number uh, 5 in explosive runs, number 1 in explosive passes. Again, defense really got to tighten that up. But uh, some more box score kind of stuff. Obviously, we know it's 43-34. Packers had 11 rushing first downs compared to the Vikings' 10. Packers had 17 passing first downs compared to the Vikings' 12. Packers had 522 yards compared to the Vikings' 382. That's with 76 plays compared to 49. Average yards per play, the Packers 6.9, the Vikings 7.8. Again, if it's not for time of possession and for the Packers' offense doing a fantastic job on these ridiculously long drives, which is, again, a change in philosophy. We're going slow. We're, we're, we're not just trying to beat it down the, down the field as quickly as possible like the Vikings did. Uh, overall success rate, 61% compared to 65% in favor of the Vikings. Average first down rate, Packers 37, Vikings 47. First downs total, 28 to 23. One of the interesting things here, um, the Minnesota Vikings absolutely dominated on first down. They averaged 11.2 yards on first down, which is pretty telling. You only need 10 yards for a first down, and on first down, they're averaging 11.2. But the Packers, interestingly enough, were dominant on third down, and we saw this constantly. They had 10.5 yards on average on third down. Um, Success rate, again, pretty damning for the Packers on first down. The Vikings were successful on first down 82% of the time. That's massively higher than any other percentage anywhere. The Vikings had 14 first downs on first down. They only had nine other first downs in the game. Most of their first downs came on first down. It's just crazy. Um, Four of their four explosive runs came on first down. Four of their five explosive passes came on first down. Three of their four touchdowns came on first down. So I don't know what what defense were running on first down, but the Packers were able to exploit that with ease. And uh, Pettin needs to go back and figure that out because we just got picked apart on first down like it was a joke. And that's, that's also really unfortunate because third down is when the Packers' defense kind of comes alive. That's when the pass rushers pin their ear back, ears back and all that. And I think the Vikings desperately want to stay out of third down, and they did. When they didn't, it was a nightmare. The success rate for the Vikings on second and third down was 43%, 50%, and on fourth down, it was 0%. So it wasn't good. It was 50% or worse success rate on second, third, and fourth down. 82% on first down. So again, that absolutely needs to get cleaned up. Uh, the Packers... Conversely, 69% success on first down, 54 on second, 55 on third, 50 on fourth. So they were 50% or higher on every single down. And again, the Vikings 50% or lower on every down except first when they just carved us up. Carved us up. Um, success rate based on where we were on the field. Again, it's a little bit super in-depthy, but it might be might be interesting. I, don't, I think it's interesting. 67% success rate, that's three plays, 4.3 yards per play when we're on our own between 1 and 20 yard line. 65% when we're on the 21 to 40 yard line, 56% at the 40 to 41 to 41, so that mid mark. But then when we get to the opponent's 40 to 21, 85% success rate. So that was our sweet spot. Unfortunately, the worst part of the field for us was in the red zone inside the 20. That obviously got a lot better as we got further down in the game. But the Packers ended up getting 10 first downs in the mid mark, six first downs on the opponent's 40 to 21 yard line. The Vikings, basically, the closer they got to our end zone, the better they got. Their success rate on their own 20 or less was 33%. 69 from 20 to 40, 56 at mid-mark, 75% when they got between our 20 and 40, 
and 83% in the red zone. So once they got on our side of the field, it was game over. Again, something to look at. Uh, general, we kind of went through the uh, quarterback box score. Looking at receiving, Devontae, 17, or 14 of 17, 9.2 yards average, 156 yards, 65% success rate, 47% first down rate. He converted eight first downs, had two explosive plays, two touchdowns, and then there's the Taurus thing, which who cares? Uh, Aaron Jones actually had six targets. He was the second most targeted guy with MVS. Six targets, four receptions, but only 10 yards, 1.7 yards per attempt, so that didn't work out all that well. MVS, six targets, four receptions, 96 yards, as well as his touchdown. Alan Lazard, four for four for 63 yards and a touchdown. Jamal Williams, four for four, 21 yards. Josiah DeGuara, two targets, one reception, 12 yards. Jay Sternberger was 1-0. and Tyler Irvin, one target, one reception, six yards. Tyler Irvin was another really big bright spot. Everybody has been saying we want to see more Tyler Irvin because of what we saw last year, right? We didn't see him very often, but when he came on the plays, when he came out for plays, he made plays. And that's kind of the same here. Um, he kind of reminds me of when we put Randall Cobb in the backfield. You know, it was a very rare thing, but when we did, at one point he was averaging like 10 yards per carry. It was just, it was just a given. And, that, and, and in that case, it was funny because you knew what Randall Cobb was doing. He only lined up in the backfield for one reason. They still couldn't stop it. With Tyler Irvin, you can use him as a decoy. So if you run him on these little sweeps and he picks up 10 yards and then you see him running again, it's hard for the linebackers to not want to key in on that. And it's also a great play in these situations where, as I said, the linebackers are really crashing down. It's a good way to get them to hesitate so that you give Aaron Jones a little bit more breathing room. If the linebackers have to kind of pause for a second because they don't know if they're going to give the ball to Tyler Irvin or not or Lazard or whoever else is running these, it's weird that Lazard is doing it more than MVS considering the speed difference there. Obviously, Lazard is a big-body guy who's just going to smash through some people, but you'd think MVS with his speed, you'd want to give him some opportunities. But anyways, that was a lot of fun watching Tyler Irvin um, rushing Aaron Jones 16 carries, 4.1 yards per attempt, 66 total yards. Again, they credit him with one explosive rush, which is a 10 or more yard run. He had one touchdown. Jamal, three yards per carry. Again, this is why they're not going to lean on Jamal to be that every down back. He's just not that guy. He's solid as a receiver. He's solid as a as a, uh, as a pass blocker, which is why he's in there instead of A.J. Dillon, because that ends up being much more important. If we just need a guy to spell Aaron Jones, it's going to be the guy that can protect Aaron Rodgers. But at the end of the day, they need a guy that's going to be able to carry the ball better than three yards per carry if you're looking for a bell cow. Um, he did convert three first downs for us. He's real good in that short yardage stuff with a little bit of extra bang. I wish they would have tried A.J. Dillon in those situations just because I want to see it. But again, it's a trust thing. Tyler Irvin, three run plays, 12.7 yards per attempt. What a beautiful thing that is. I'm so happy he's a part of this team. And it's it's beautiful that a guy who has lacked success in other places, Matt LaFleur is the guy that's been able to figure out how to utilize him. That's a great sign for a head coach, which, I mean, this entire offensive performance was a great sign for a head coach. But it's it's good when guys find success in Green Bay as opposed to the opposite where we cut guys and they find success elsewhere. Um, Tim Boyle apparently had a couple rushes at the end of the game, but Alan Lazard had his one run. That was 19 yards we picked up on that. Dalvin Cook, it, for all the, the big plays that he had, he only averaged 4.2 yards per carry. So obviously it's one of those things where in my mind, and actually some of those carries were probably not Dalvin Cook. Alexander Madison averaged 8.3 yards per carry. So as a whole, I'm probably misremembering somewhat, but Dalvin Cook. And, and again, how exciting is that? They just paid massive money to Dalvin Cook, and we see Dalvin Cook carve us up, and you see Vikings fans, you can hear them saying, ah, see, he's so good, he's elite. Alexander Madison, again, does better than Dalvin Cook. 
They both got 50 yards on the ground. Dalvin Cook did it in 12 attempts. Alexander Madison did it in six. Success rate, Dalvin Cook 67%, Alexander Madison 83%. Now, granted, I think Madison came in toward the end when we're much more concerned about the pass. That's garbage time, but still, you love to see. I mean, I hate to see that they did so well on the ground. Not that 4.2 is all that impressive. I got to go back and watch the game because I could swear he tore us up much more than that. It just must be me having a panic attack, and every time something happens, I flip out because I'm shocked that he only got 4.2 yards per attempt. He did convert five first down. According to this, only had one. I, I, I must have fell asleep and had a dream that Dalvin Cook had a bunch of big runs because according to this, he only ran for 10 yards or more one. That seems like a flat-out lie. Flat-out lie. But anyways, real quick, and I know this is kind of just disorganized chaos with this this podcast. There's so much information. I'm trying to get as much to you as possible before I kind of clean it up going forward. But I do want to just kind of take a look, just just comb through the uh, comb through the roster, make sure I'm not missing anything. Uh, first of all, let's just look at wide receiver. We got some time to figure this out. In other words, they may be worse down the line. As of right now, though, the howls of we need better wide receivers hasn't quite lived up to the billing. And if, if Aaron Rodgers can keep putting the ball where it needs to be, that's that's the other thing. You're seeing the guys utilized in the way that you expect. Alan Lazard is using his big body and his big frame to where if Rodgers just puts it in the right spot, Alan Lazard is somewhat uncoverable. That's, that's a lot of his highlights from last year. It's, he's never really wide open, but it doesn't matter. Rodgers puts it in the right spot. Lazard uses his big frame to box the guy out and make a catch. He, he functions as a tight end. Devontae does what Devontae does. He uses his quick cuts and his great route running to get that separation. He's the only guy on the team that gets decent separation. He ends up getting five yards of separation because he just kills people. And then Scantling gets used for what we want him for. On occasion, he beats the guy deep, right? If we got single high safety and he's not drawn over to MVS's side, you call the right play at the right time, he's able to get that one, two steps on the guy. Just enough space, and if Rodgers can hit that, again, it might not be the best wide receiving group in the world, but what else do you need? And we still have uh, Equinemius that's still coming back, hopefully soon. I don't know, even know exactly why he's out. But also, I think we we tend to glorify rookie receivers as though they're just the be-all, end-all. Right? If, you know, yeah, Lazard had a great day and MVS had a great day. These stupid autoplay videos punch you right in the neck. C.D. Lamb had five receptions for 59 yards. Henry Ruggs had two receptions for 11 yards and then went out with an injury. T. Higgins didn't get a single target. Justin Jefferson had two receptions for 26 yards. Who are we swapping out here? We're giving up Alan Lazard for who? Brandon Ayuk didn't have a reception. You could say, well, they'll get better down the You can't base it on one week. Okay, but that didn't stop you from complaining about week one and how if, well, look at these receivers. We should have a rookie. What did the rookies do? How would they have helped us this week? I saw early on in this game every single Packer fan who's crying about wide receivers saying, oh, we sh- see, this is the problem. This is why we needed rookies. Rookies didn't do anything this week. We'll see if Jerry Judy has an impact in Denver. If he, if he does, he's the only rookie that had a big impact this week. Again, we just we glorify these guys as though it's just automatic. Like, it, well, we should have got him help. Okay, how do you do that? Well, you draft a guy in the wide receiver, and then what happens? Well, then you have an elite wide receiver. Really? Is that how that works? You just draft a guy and you have an elite? That's amazing. I didn't know that. We should be doing that all along then because every other receiver we draft in the first round doesn't become elite just like that. Rashawn Gary's not elite. Darnell Savage isn't elite. Jair isn't elite. I didn't know you could just draft wide receivers and they're elite. It's amazing. That's... Wow. We should do that every year then. I didn't know that that's how that worked. That's crazy. Good thing too because if we didn't have that bum MVS... 
or that loser Alan Lazard. And listen, I'm, I'm being a little flippant. Again, they might get better, the rookies do, and maybe our wide receivers get worse. But it's just, it's tiring. And again, we're, we're going to be adding in more A.J. Dillon. We're going to be adding in more Josiah DeGuara. Hopefully we're getting back equanimous. I and mean, we are thin at wide receiver, which is its own problem. But I've already made the case that we don't have that bad of a number two wide receiver. I think Alan Lazard was number two, based on his PF, I forget what it was, but I want to say he was like the, the 12th, 10th maybe, I don't know, best number two wide receiver in the NFL, based on PFF grade. So it's not, I mean, he's not elite. It's not like Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, or what Tampa Bay has, where they basically have like two number ones and a number two on their team. But, I mean... If, if that's the standard, the Packers are deprived unless they have two elite number one wide receivers like basically no teams in the NFL have. That's silly because nobody has that. The Saints maybe have that now with Emmanuel Sanders over there. The, the Vikings don't anymore. Tampa does, and they lost. Granted, they lost to the team that also has two good wide receivers, but that's, you know, the Giants don't, the Steelers don't, the Tennessee Titans don't. Denver maybe does. We'll see what Jerry Judy does. The Eagles don't. Washington doesn't, Miami doesn't, New England doesn't, the Vikings don't, just going down the line here, Indianapolis does not have two number ones, Jacksonville doesn't have two number ones, Chicago doesn't, Detroit doesn't, the Raiders don't, depending on if, you know, if they drafted two rookies that are both elite, then there you go, but I doubt it, Carolina does not, the Jets do not, Buffalo does not, Cleveland kind of does, although Odell kind of looks like a bum, and uh, I think the jury's out on, on Jarvis Landry at this point. Uh, Baltimore does not. Seattle maybe does. Atlanta, you could say, maybe does. Cincinnati, maybe. Chargers do not. 49ers do not, unless, of course, Ayuk becomes elite. Arizona does not. Well, mm, I don't know. I don't think Larry Fitz is that anymore. Dallas maybe does if CeeDee Lamb steps up. LA doesn't. Houston doesn't anymore. They basically got three number twos. And Kansas City doesn't, unless you think Sammy Watkins is a number one, or if we include tight ends. So, again, I'm just, and, and the, the national narrative of that is silly, too. Like, what, why, why does nobody else get trashed for this? Tom Brady literally was winning Super Bowls with zero number one wide receivers. So, I, just stop it. Yes, it would be nice if we got a really top-tier wide receiver. But guess what? If things continue as they are, again, just guys utilizing themselves in this way, and it works. Aaron Rodgers is getting the ball to him. They're utilizing their strengths properly, and LaFleur is putting him in the right situations to succeed. Devontae's winning with his routes. Lazard is winning with his body and his frame. MVS is winning with his speed. Then we got DeGuara getting better. We got Dylan coming in. A little bit worried about the offensive line, but, I mean, it's just outside of my sheer panic over this defense, I'm feeling pretty good. Wide receiver is by far, one of my smallest concerns right now. The offensive line is a bigger concern. The growth of the tight ends is a bigger concern. A.J. Dillon becoming something is, is actually a bigger concern for me. I mean, unless the wide receivers become trash, then it becomes a problem. But at this point, nope, running back is a bigger concern. The defensive line is a massively bigger concern. The regression from edge rushers, thankfully Zadarius got a, a sack. That helps me with that, but that's a bigger concern for me. The lack of talent at linebacker was a huge concern in this game. Despite Kirksey coming up for a big tackle and Chris Barnes making a nice tackle, I feel like the linebackers kind of sucked in this game. By the way, did you guys see Christian Kirksey um, get outrun by Kirk Cousins? Mr. Athletic, freakish linebacker, couldn't catch Kirk Cousins? Oh my goodness. He's so athletically freaky, he's almost as fast as Kirk Cousins. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm trying to... 
What's a sentence I can say that's not a lie? That's nice. Um, great person. Hopefully he gets better. We'll see how it goes. But that was rough. Uh, safeties. I would like to see a little bit better. Darnell Savage needs to take a step. And uh, I feel like he did take a step in the wrong direction. It's week one. But again, just, just listing out the concerns that are bigger than wide receiver. And it's almost every single position. Yes, it'd be cool if we had an elite number two. But we don't. We have an elite number one and two capable number twos. Possibly three, depending on Equinemius and what he's able to do. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it right now. Might come back to bite us once in a while if we go up against top-tier corners. But guess what? The rookies are still going to struggle with that, too. C.D. Lamb is going to struggle against a top-tier wide receiver or cornerback. I mean, my goodness, he's number three on his own team, and he only managed five receptions. Dallas doesn't even have good corners. Who's this elite number three cornerback that's shutting down C.D. Lamb? I saw one of his receptions. The guy was wide open. It was a schemed open thing. He didn't run a route. He just he ran across the field, and nobody was covering him. So just just relax. Let's not make up fairy tales about things where if we just draft guys, then everything's all better. This is what it is. Let's deal with what we've got. And as it stands, I am officially on the Mike Pettin fixes this or he's fired train. I wasn't on it prior to this game. I'm officially on it now. If this continues, he needs to go. Because Kenny Clark and Preston and Zadarius and Rashawn and Amos and Savage and Jair and Kevin King, it has to be better. This, this, is, not, this is not okay. But um, just, I mean, there's a, there's a couple little nuggets, and then, then I got to go. I think I mentioned, maybe I didn't, this is the highest scoring game that we scored since we beat the Jets in overtime in 2018, 44-38. December 23rd of 2018 is the last time we put up this many points. And we did it week one in this year two of this offense, right? That, that, that was sort of the question that obviously nobody that dislikes the Packers and wants to trash and wants to acknowledge, right? The Packers are going to get worse. Why? Well, because they didn't add a wide receiver. Okay, stupid moron. Why else? Are we just ignoring that it's year two of this system? Yes, we are. We're just ignoring that because I'm not buying that for some reason. Okay, well, game one of year two within this system, and we put up 43 points against the Vikings, who you said, talking past the listener here, looking at these national pundits, you said the Vikings are elite at basically every level. I didn't say it. I said the opposite, but you said that. Remember, up front, linebackers, safeties, 43 points. So now you get to decide. The Vikings defense is trash, and the Packers just took advantage of a trash team, which is still impressive because there's no guarantee you're really good against a trash team. But I will happily take that because guess what? Haha, now everybody hates you, Vikings. Or you keep on with this nonsense that the Vikings are this dominant elite defense. They're super good. They're just the best ever. And the Packers hung up 43 points, and now you have to start giving the Packers credit. Of course, they'll find some weird, weavy, middle ground nonsense to, uh, to not do either of those things. The Vikings will still be good. It just was a rough week, and the Packers, uh, you know, fraudulent. So I think it was Nagler said this is the most fraudulent 43-34 to 34 team in NFL history or something. It's like, that's just absolutely perfect. Because that's, because that's exactly what's going to happen. That's what you're going to hear this week. This was a fraudulent win by the Packers. They didn't look good, blah, blah, blah. So I will be watching very closely all these podcasts and as closely as I can. And if you see something, send it to me. I want to start seeing some credit. All these losers who have been trashing the Packers saying they got worse and the Vikings are the better team and I don't even think the Packers are the number two team in the division I think they're going to be third maybe not fourth but they're going to be the third did you watch the Lions and Bears game are those guys going to win the division are you serious did you see Mitch Trubisky he looked like human garbage 
He let a comeback at the end after completely missing on several touchdowns. I, every time I turned, turned over to that game, I just saw balls go flying in areas where there was nobody there. And the receiver's just like, what the heck was that? And Trubisky just walks off the field. And yes, you won because DeAndre Swift, this freakish, early, great, top-tier running back, dropped an easy touchdown to win the game. The Bears should have lost a game in which Kenny Galladay wasn't even on the field. Neither was their early first-round rookie cornerback, Jeff Okuda. If those guys are back, the Bears are getting wrecked the next time around. I'm not scared of that Bears team. Are you kidding me? And the fact that the Lions offense was able to march against this elite Bears defense with basically none of their weapons, which I say none of their weapons because Galladay's basically their one top-tier weapon on that team. They don't have a run game. They got mediocre wide receivers outside of Galladay. They still put up points against the Bears. So, yeah, okay. I look forward to hearing your insights on that, folks. Maybe the Packers aren't that good. Maybe you put them in a different division. It's a different story. Do they win the NFC West? No. Do they win the NFC South? Probably not. Are they going to win the North? You betcha they are, because the Vikings sure as heck aren't going to do it, and we know. And the Vikings are still probably the second best team in the division after watching that game. Kirk Cousins looked—I thought he looked fine. You see some of those passes? That last touchdown pass to Thielen over over uh, Jair, dude. That was that was the most perfectly placed ball I've seen. I mean, since the last time Cousins did that, because he does that a lot. Because he's—I don't know—he he puts some some balls in some really solid. He's got some good placement. Let's. Make it less weird and just say that. A couple other nuggets. These are mostly coming from Zach Cruz on, on Twitter. I'm just, just pulling them off because they're here. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers attempted 44 passes but wasn't sacked on Sunday and marked only the fourth time in his career and first since 2016 that he's attempted at least 40 passes and wasn't sacked in a game. 2010 against Chicago, 2012 against New Orleans, 2016 against the Giants, 2020 at Minnesota. And it was funny because I had people ripping on me and I know the Vikings fans are going to come in hot with their excuses well we didn't have Daniel Hunter excuse me let's have a conversation about Yannick let's talk about how Yannick as how did somebody put it in my comment section I think it was something to the effect of something to the effect of Yannick is going to be going up against some no-name nobody at right tackle right how did that work out you went up against a second year guard and then you went up against Rick Wagner who apparently is trash I don't know we didn't even apparently have him as our third string tackle to start the game. I don't know how that happened. How did that pan out? We'll see what PFF says. They have some different metrics, but according to ESPN's metrics, he didn't generate a single pressure in this game. Not one. It's weird, right? I also heard people say I'm wildly underestimating Odenigbo because he had a bunch of sacks. And I explained to them his sack rate was wildly inflated. It was basically the same as Kyler Fackrell. If you look at his overall pressure rate, it wasn't that good. Also via Zach Cruz on Twitter, his at is at Zach Cruz 2 43 points scored by the Packers on Sunday, the most Vikings have allowed in a single game since hiring Mike Zimmer in 2014. Just beat the 42, just beats the 42 the Packers scored on the Vikings at Lambeau Field on October 2014. There was also an, a first ever last year, I forget what it was, maybe it was beating them in, oh, it was, it was, I think it was their only home loss last year, I don't know. But Zimmer, who just got locked up, for a much longer time because he's a defensive genius, um, just had the most points scored against him ever. And again, I don't blame him because as I've been saying, which I've been told I'm an idiot, um, the defensive line is completely decimated. Yannick is not very good. The corners are trash. And apparently you got one good linebacker and two safeties. That's not enough to have an elite defense. Vikings fans said I was lying. Everybody says I'm an idiot. Well, if I'm an idiot, what does that make you? It's, it's not a good word. I don't know what the word is, but I, it's, it's got to involve a swear somewhere because you can't get much further than idiot. 
Next one by Mr. Zach Cruz. Packers wide receiver Devontae Adams added to his franchise record for total games with 10 or more catches on Sunday. He is now he now has 10 with 10 or more. Donald Driver and Sterling Sharp both had 7. So Devontae is just fantastic. Finally, um, he adds Packers now won 6 straight Week 1 games, including 4 on the road. Beat Minnesota this week. Beat Chicago the last two years, Seattle, Jacksonville, and then Chicago again. The last loss, 2014 at Seattle. As cool as that is, it also kind of sucks because the last time this team was really dominant was probably 2014, but whatever. A win's a win. There's only 16 games. Every game counts. This is a huge game. It's a uh, divisional win. The Packers are now tied with the uh, listless Chicago Bears for the lead in the division. Next week, the Packers are going to be playing the Detroit Lions. Not trying to jump ahead too far, but it is worth looking at. Uh, the Bears are playing the Giants, so there's a good chance they go to 2-0. and It's not going to be an easy game against the Lions. I'm not going to pretend that it is. I've already said I think the Lions are the second-best team in the division, and if they get their guys back, which they probably will, we'll have to check up on injury reports. That's going to be tough, but that's going to be a... Uh... Why does it say the Packers are 0-1, you bunch of morons? <laughs> NFL right now, NFL.com has the Packers at 0-1. Do they have the Vikings at 1-0? Nope, the Vikings are also 0-1, so well done. But the Vikings will be going up against the Colts which I do think the Colts are a better team, but you wouldn't know that from week one because they got stomped out by the Jaguars. But um, I think there's a really good opportunity for the Vikings to get to 1-1 one and one and for the Bears to go to 2-0. and oh. Really big game, though, Packers-Lions, because uh, obviously if the, Lion, the Lions need to win so they don't go to 0-2, the Packers don't want to slip to 1-1 one and one and lose to a divisional opponent. The Bears have a really good opportunity if the Lions do win to lead the division 2-0. and oh. It's kind of a... We'll call it a fraudulent lead because they beat the Lions and the Giants to start the season. But anyways, we'll be looking at that a little bit more later. I just wanted to take a look now to kind of check out the landscape and where we're all headed with this. Anyways, i got to stop talking at some point. This seems like a good a time as any. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.